Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Censored. I'm Aoife Vrutnach, a historian cataloging putrid and poisonous publications. Love all the peas in that sentence. Alliteration really is a thing in complaints about bad books. All of the primary sources are full of this repetition of sound. There's corrupting and corroding, degrading and disgusting. I mean, I could go on, but maybe I'll save it for a bonus Patreon episode or something. And thanks to Jeff Angevin for supporting the show and signing up. Links to my Patreon and merch pages are in your show notes. But even if you just subscribe, you're helping me out. And thank you all for listening, obviously. I'm still at it because you're all downloading it. This episode is about the News of the World, a British Sunday newspaper that offended a rake of people in early 20th century Ireland. Burning, with a side order of boycotting, was the preferred method of protest. Burning is a pretty potent symbol of outraged offence. Cleansing, purifying fire eradicates all sin, which is why burning heretics is so attractive to the Orthodox. You all know about book burning as a phenomenon because when a book is torched, it becomes legendary. For example, it's mandatory when talking about Edna O'Brien's The Country Girls to say that her novel was burnt in her home place even though not everyone is convinced it actually happened. Book burning arouses strong emotions, because it's seen as evidence of a particularly repressive society. I mean, Ray Bradbury wrote a whole dystopian novel about it. Which makes it even stranger that there's no hype about the burning of newspapers. As a free speech issue, it should be just as important. And there were way more incidents of newspaper burnings than book bonfires. The News of the World, which was published in London from 1843 to 2011, attracted particular ire in Ireland in the 1910s and the 1920s. I want to explore how Irish people tried to expel it from their towns and cities before the Censorship Act was passed. So once again, this is social censure rather than state censorship. Unfortunately, a newspaper is not like a book, It's not a single, stable text I can read and do censorship bingo for. I know, no censorship bingo. What even is the point? 
newspapers have a style and tone that you get to know when you read them. But those who have researched the news of the world say its commercial success was due to, quote, headlining on sexual shenanigans and general misbehaviour, preferably of the rich and famous, or failing that, of anyone who ought to have known better or not, unquote. Sounds good, doesn't it? The court reports in the News of the World were seen as more extensive and much more explicit than its competitors, which led to Catholic conservatives to complain that it was devoted almost entirely to reports of murders, suicides, divorces, bigamy cases, indecent assault, incest, affiliation cases and crime in general and particularly sexual crime. Let's be honest, this sensational take would make it popular any time. But when most newspapers of the time tiptoed around the unsavoury stuff, I mean, no wonder it was so popular. It must have been a thrilling read. By 1930, it was the best-selling newspaper in the UK, with a circulation of 3.4 million copies every Sunday. In Ireland, it was also the biggest newspaper that year, selling more than 130,000 copies per week. For context, this number is larger than all the Irish morning newspapers combined. So if you add up the Indo, the Times and the big morning regionals, the news of the world sold more than all of them put together. I had no idea it was this fucking huge before I started researching it. This is the real truth about post-independence Ireland. Everyone was reading the news of the world. Another reason for its popularity, apart from the sex, was the sports results. It was full of football and racing. This, of course, was good for betting and general interest and chat down the pub. Since it was so widely read and so saucy, Catholic conservatives hated it more than any other newspaper. And of course, Sunday newspapers were, and still are, sold outside churches. So the faithful go to Mass, they then buy a paper on their way home. I'm sure this physical proximity of the paper stall to the place of worship drove religious types out of their tiny, pious minds. Now, if we were to have a drink to match the papers, I suppose beer might be the stereotypical drink of the working man who was understood to be the typical reader. The news of the world was almost certainly read and passed around in pubs. But if you want to channel the... But if you feel like channeling the spirit of religious celery, no booze at all. Abstinence and bodily purity were the goals of the people who tried to ban these Sunday tabloids. So it'd be time to renew your pledge with the Pioneer Total Abstinence Association. The pioneers, for those who don't know, were huge in Ireland once upon a time. Not drinking was the hallmark of respectability for large swathes of the population. Like my grandparents were born before the foundation of the state and they never drank. A little bit of sherry or whiskey in a Christmas cake or pudding, that'd be the most they ever had. Organisations similar to the pioneers drove the campaign against dirty foreign newspapers. Some of them were nationwide and large, others small and local. Sean O'Fueloin called this type of lay Catholic organisation miraculous meddlers, which is just pure genius. That man was so sharp he could have cut himself. You'll have heard of some of these big heavy hitters, these national organisations, like the Catholic Truth Society. I've mentioned them a few times before. 
the Legion of Mary, the Knights of Columbanus, and the Catholic Young Men's Society. You'll find these referred to in a lot of history books about Catholic Ireland. And then there's small quirky ones, the ones I like to call the loony laity. A lot of them are based around one person or one family even. There's the League of Decency from about the 1950s to the 1970s. And there was a brief one in the 50s called Boycott Objectionable Foreign Literature. Didn't really get off the ground. Then there's also very specific local organisations, like the Good Literature Guild in Limerick City. I've no idea really what it did, just came across it. And then there are vigilance committees, like the Chewham Vigilance Committee in County Galway. This type of organisation was in a lot of towns, actually. And finally, there were sodalities and confraternities. I want to talk about one of those in this episode, and they were called the Cork Angelic Warfare Association. What a name, though. Images of flaming swords and shining faces, terrible in their majesty and righteousness, come to mind. Then you add Cork to the title, and the grandeur kind of collapses. And I say this as a Cork woman. Nothing could be more Cork than these grandiose ambitions, though. I should define what a sodality is, because they're kind of a niche historical interest. These were lay Catholic parish-based organisations, usually segregated by gender. Angelic warfare was a boy's sodality. So think of the scouts with extra praying. At a Jubilee celebratory mass in 1926, 500 boys attached to the society attended. So it was pretty big. This was a Dominican sodality, based in their city centre church, St. Mary's. Honestly, I fell down a bit of a rabbit hole on this particular organisation. I know the angelic warfare lads watched Shakespeare plays at summer camp and how much their excursion train tickets cost. All very useful information, I don't think. And there was a branch in Watford City as well. I confess to eye-rolling when I saw this sodality was also into the Irish language revival, because, of course, they were. The worst Gaelgores were the most pious ones. Adult sodalities were even more into prayer than these children's ones, because, of course, grown-ups didn't usually have time for two weeks of camping in the Gaeltacht. In general, these groups bound people even closer to their church, creating social spaces defined by religious practice. And there was often a militant missionary tone to them as well, in Limerick, the Holy Family Sodality organised the intimidation of newsagents who sold dirty newspapers. Most famously, in 1904, the Arch Confraternity of the Sacred Heart, what a name, also Limerick, instigated a pogrom against Jewish families. Few sodalities were that incendiary, but with the right priest and the right campaign, there was real potential in them for social protest. Charismatic and energetic priests made a big difference to the public activities of sodalities. But to get back to Cork's warlike angels, in March 1927, three members of the Cork Angelic Warfare Association were tried for, quote, larceny of newspapers, unquote. John Courtney, a newspaper seller, told the court what had happened to him on Saturday the 13th of February. He collected a bundle of newspapers from the city's train station, paying 19 shillings, 9 pence in cash up front. 
Included in the bundle was the Sunday Independent, Dispatch, Herald, Sunday Pictorial, Sunday News, Sportsman and the News of the World. Four men, who he did know to see but didn't know their names, stopped him and asked if he had the News of the World in his bundle. As Courtney was about to hand over a copy to sell it, the lads grabbed all his papers and lent it. Courtney, outraged, followed them, demanding the value of the papers and his sales profits too. One of them handed him eight shillings when Courtney expected to earn more than that for his profits. The bios told him he would get the rest of his money, but by Sunday evening he was fed up of waiting and complained to the guards. I suspect had they coughed up the cash, he would never have bothered complaining because it was all the one to him where the newspapers ended up. When this case appeared in Cork District Court a month later, it drew a large crowd. The most important people connected to the defendants were admitted first, and they were all clergy, 13 of them in total, eight Dominicans, four Augustinians and one Franciscan. One of the Dominicans, Father Sexton, testified on behalf of the accused men. After claiming they were all fine, upstanding young men who would never do violence to anybody, he told the court they were members of the Cork Angelic Warfare Association. Father Sexton told the court he had received petitions from sodalities across the city, asking him to, quote, use his influence, unquote, to stop bad literature coming into the city. In his evidence, Sexton almost claims credit for directing the newspaper theft. Remember, the Angelic Warfare Association was tied to his church, administered by his order. Maybe he was personally deeply involved in it. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But other parishes at the time were also obsessed with evil literature. You can't blame just the Dominicans for this. 
During the Warfare Jubilee celebrations in 1926, the Sodality heard visiting preachers from other parishes rail against bad books. One said, It was grand to see the spirit of that Sodality triumphing at a time when in the shape of bad books and so-called literature, the backwash of the dirt of Europe was breaking against our rock-bound coast, even flowing over and leaving a scum on the surface of our fair valleys and reaching even to the quiet hilltop homes and staining the health. I love how that flows when you read it aloud. There's a skill in crafting a good denunciation of a fire and brimstone sermon. So the lads who robbed the papers were inspired and maybe even instructed to do so by their priests. This was still a crime because none of the papers stolen were banned in Cork or anywhere else in Ireland. The defence put forward by the boy's solicitor kept saying these papers were banned. But, you know, this is a complete lie. Giant fib. You might think that this placed the priests in an awkward position because the Roman Catholic Church is usually on the side of law and order and honesty, at least publicly. So Father Sexton devised a radical thesis. He said, The law as a bad law deserves no respect. It is a law that has come from England, and we, the Irish people, ought to define our own meaning of decency. Okay, fair enough, except that all the legal infrastructure of the state rested on British precedent. The roads, the railways... The social welfare system, schools, taxation, customs duties, every single feckin' thing was rooted in the previous British administration. I'm thinking Father Sexton didn't want everything to change, just the obscenity bits he didn't like. As you would expect, with so many priests on their side, the lads who stole the papers weren't even fined. But I want to talk about how the newspaper seller, John Courtney, was treated by the court in this case. This is how he was questioned by Mr. Donegan, who represented the three thieves. Do you tell us here that you knew nothing about the ban? I got no notification of any ban. Do you know of the ban since this case? I heard it preached in the church, but I don't know of any ban on any particular paper. Do you pretend to suggest that you didn't know the reason for this campaign against these papers? Can you read and write? I can. Do you read these papers you sell? I do, some of them. Only the back page. The back page? Yes, the football. You have never read any other portion? No. Are you a married man? I am. With a family? Yes. Would you allow that into your house, throwing a picture paper across the table towards the witness? Let him take it in his hand. It is one of the papers seized. I mean, for fuck's sake, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever read. None of this was relevant to the case. And how dare that man ask about his reading ability? That wasn't the end of it. There were some mild objections from the bench that this was irrelevant, but they let him away with it. Donegan then accused Courtney of reporting the theft because someone put it up to it, that he was working for some secret, mysterious, anti-angelic warfare association. Jesus Christ. Nuts. And to finally damage his credibility, Donegan claimed that when Courtney had called on the Dominicans asking for his money, he was drunk. 
John Courtney, the man who was robbed, was subjected to a character assassination in a public court that was then reported in the local newspaper. He wasn't the one accused of a crime, but he was certainly treated like a criminal. This courtroom drama illustrates how self-righteous the men who supported angelic warfare could be. The priest said it was right to break the law, and the solicitor lied in court over the ban. Neither of them suffered any consequences for this, because they portrayed themselves as on the side of the angels. Naturally, these very same men would be completely unbending if the law they believed in was broken. Such dicks. Anyway, enough raging at long-dead zealots. You're probably thinking, one newspaper confiscation in one town isn't really a historical trend. You could write the Cork Angelic Warfare Association off as a bunch of cranks. But there were other newspaper burnings in 1926 and 27 in Cork County. In May 1927, the Sunday papers were seized and burned in Kalini train station by 12 armed men, and Kalini is a suburb of Dublin city. So newspaper burnings were happening in more than one place. It was so frequent that central government took notice. The Minister for Justice, Kevin O'Higgins, spoke about it in May 1927. He explained that a censorship act was being drafted and that it would be slow to pass legislation. Then he said, No good purpose was served by the kind of foolish direct action by young men calling themselves members of the Angelic Warfare Association, robbing at the point of the gun. Many of the papers taken were excellent newspapers, at least as good from the point of view of morals as the papers that were produced at home. We have got, declared Mr O'Higgins, to work away from the tradition of direct action. So this campaign was serious enough to worry the government a little bit. O'Higgins believed this social censure was happening because there was no formal state apparatus. The burnings and thefts do prove there was popular support for some sort of censorship, or at least some support. But it is worth remembering that the news of the world continued to be sold in large numbers, so most people were probably not on board with the burning campaign. Also, I just want to pause and enjoy the irony of Kevin O'Higgins, part of an insurrection movement that subverted law and order, arguing that such tactics were excessive. After all, the whole independence movement was direct action. People resorting to violence because they felt nothing else worked. Like all former revolutionaries who take power, he had to switch from supporting to suppressing insurrection overnight. Who'd be a successful revolutionary? The internal contradictions are epic. During the War of Independence and the Civil War that Kevin O'Higgins participated in, lots of newspapers were burnt. Everyone was afraid of propaganda from enemy newspapers. The British Army obstructed paper distribution and tried to suppress Sinn Féin propaganda. Sinn Féin opposed newspapers that didn't promote their side of the story, so these were destroyed at railway stations by masked men. Not all of those offensive papers were British either. The Dublin-based Freeman's Journal managed to offend both Loyalists and Republicans, who stole parcels and intimidated vendors. Any media outlet that offends both sides in a polarised conflict is probably doing quite a good job. But it was really during the Civil War when newspapers suffered the worst. A pro-treaty commandant in Watford City was burning everything, newspapers and magazines, in July 1922. 
The anti-treaty IRA retaliated against papers they didn't like when they could. At the end of the conflict, they went all out and smashed printing presses. Some titles never came back after that because printing presses are pretty expensive pieces of kit. There were more newspaper burnings and attacks on media from 1919 to 22 than in any other period. The boys of the Angelic Warfare Association were following in their elders' footsteps when they tried to suppress the news of the world. Except the very men who had pioneered this kind of direct action now ran the state that prosecuted them for theft. Because the state was Irish and working on a censorship act, the incendiary work of angelic warfare was not considered necessary. And when the Censorship Act of 1929 passed, the News of the World was one of the very first newspapers to be banned. It sent a delegation to Dublin to lobby for a change, but there wasn't a hope of any reprieve. It wasn't sold in Ireland again until 1961, when the News of the World, Irish edition, was published. Technically, you could argue the News of the World proper was never sold in Ireland again, since the British edition was the one on sale in 1929. Now, it wasn't the only British paper to print an Irish edition. Other newspapers also adopted this tactic to placate the censors. In the end, the Censorship Act eradicated one form of civil disobedience. Once the News of the World was taken out of circulation permanently, the newspaper burning stopped. In 1953, there was a brief one-off burning outside Dublin City. Masked men stopped a delivery van and tried to burn the Sunday People. Not the News of the World, obviously, because it was still banned. It didn't really work. They ended up tearing up the papers when the fire didn't catch. Seems like an appropriate metaphor for this attempt to return to the incendiary 1920s, because this was the only time the old tactics were revived. If we take arson as reflective of public opinion, the minority who hated British papers had shrunk so much it couldn't even muster enough dedicated lads to mount a campaign. There was a lot of alarmist rhetoric around censorship failure in the 1950s, but I can't help thinking that very few took it seriously. Whatever the Catholic zealots might say, state censorship in the 50s was more severe than any other decade. The board was banning hundreds and hundreds of titles, most of them pulp fiction of the sensational crime and romance type. In its third decade, the censorship board seemed unassailable. Only a paranoid conspiracy theorist could really argue that the country was drowning under a tide of filth. But then, conspiracy theories are not rational, are they? And there will always be one or two people who are wildly easy to offend. Even into the 70s and 80s, some people wanted to burn books and newspapers because they were filthy. I found this little anecdote in a publication from Mayo Libraries. A member of the library regularly destroyed books by blacking out with marker any words of a sexual nature. He had been asked by staff on a number of occasions to refrain from doing this. One day the books were particularly badly marked. A staff member again explained that he couldn't continue in this manner and that the proper procedure was to show the offending books to staff and a complaint would be made to the county librarian. He didn't take too kindly to this. He proceeded to tear up the books pile them on the floor, take out a bottle of paraffin and a box of matches from his pocket. By this time, the second member of staff had run for assistance. Luckily, the library was near the fire station. 
It took three people considerable time to get the man and the situation under control. And this isn't from like the 1920s or the 1950s. As you can see, the reference to the marker brings it into the 80s. It's sobering to think there'll always be some highly motivated, self-righteous people out there who bring book-burning kits to the library. Now, the next episode will be much more polite, with 100% fewer burnings. I will be looking at The Bell, one of the most famous 20th century Irish literary periodicals. Edited by Sean O'Fuelloyne, he of the miraculous meddler's phrase, it was full of articles and short stories that challenged the status quo. I've often wondered why it was never banned, and here's hoping I find an answer to that question. Till then, keep your hands clean and your minds filthy. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.